It's a Mailbag Monday. We've got your questions, including, is Max Clark really a five-tool talent for the Detroit Tigers? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're proudly part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started today. So, Happy New Year to everybody, the everydayers. Hope you guys are uh, recovering today, enjoying the, the college football that's on. We are not taking days off. We don't do that here. This week actually starts the six days a week because we're going to do our farm system preview starting this week. But as we do every single Monday, this is a mailbag. All of these questions came from listeners of the show. If you have a question for us, lots of different options. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. We also have an email, we have a Discord, we have a subtext. It's all in the episode description. It's all in the show notes. I have a link tree down there for you. So first question comes from a listener who has heard some of the Detroit Tigers talk recently and pointed out that I didn't talk about Max Clark and is worried that maybe he was the wrong selection at number three and that he isn't necessarily going to work out. Is he really a five-tool talent? Because if he was, wouldn't I have talked about him in the show? And I do believe most of the, the Tigers talk that I was doing was guys who are close to the bigs. Your Colt Keith, Justin Henry Malloy, young a little bit. But no, Max Clark is an incredibly talented player that has the tools to be a five-tool talent. And we throw it like, as an industry, the prospect apparatus, and I think a lot of fans do this too. I'm not blaming you guys. I think we throw around five-tool talent a little bit too much. Uh, it, it's You have guys who can do some things pretty well. They're maybe, maybe above average. To me, that's not necessarily a five-tool talent. A five-tool talent is somebody who is plus or better at everything. Obviously, it comes along very seldomly. Max Clark, as of right now... Looks like he could be a five-tool player. So let's dig into all five of those tools. And I think part of what's throwing some people off is his professional debut wasn't overwhelmingly amazing like some other guys had. Wyatt Langford made it all the way to AAA, things like that. So uh, Max Clark, again, number three overall pick, the outfitter for the Tigers out of high school, 6-1-190. But 23 games combined between rookie ball and uh, low A in Lakeland. So uh, 23 total games, 224, 383, 377 slash line. Two home runs, eight extra base hits, 21 walks to 25 strikeouts, and five of six on stolen bases. It's a very small sample, and I think it's important not to draw too many conclusions from that. Obviously, adjusting to professional baseball is tough, and... Max Clark did not immediately set the world on fire, but he is still a good pick, and it is still way too early to have doubts about the selection at number three overall. The hit tool, I feel comfortable saying it's plus. And when you watch, 
He doesn't have a lot of swing and miss, especially in the zone. And this is a larger picture. This isn't necessarily what he did uh, in rookie ball or in Lakeland. Again, 11 games in Lakeland. We have StatCast data from that. I can tell you he had a 79.3% zone contact, but 72.5% overall. That's not super impressive of a number, 72% contact. But again, it's 11 games. It's 51 plate appearances. So let's not draw too many conclusions. The scouting report seems to be pretty correct so far. And he did walk almost as much as he struck out in those 11 games. 12 walks to 15 strikeouts. The thing, So with Max Clark, I feel comfortable saying it's somewhere he can use all fields. I've seen foul pole to foul pole in scouting reports. I've seen gap to gap. But either way, he's comfortable taking the ball the other way if that's the best option at that time. So not worried about the hit tool for Max Clark. The power tool, I think, is where you have the question, is he going to be a five-tool talent or not? So when you watch him, it's very much a line drive-oriented swing right? He's not trying to hit for power. And he's going to naturally adjust that some as he progresses through the minors. And Baseball America in their top 10s for 2024 actually talk about some of the adjustments that he's already made to try to get more power out of the frame. I do think some of those tweaks, and they talked about like a handset and things like that, some of those tweaks are part of it the swing plane, obviously, but some of it's going to be just the natural physical development. Braves manager Brian Stenker calls it man strength. Even the guys when they turn 22 or 23 and they're up in the majors don't haven't quite finished developing that level of strength that they're going to have and that, that man strength is what he calls it. So I've seen some places where Clark's listed just over 200 pounds now and some, there's some of that physical development, but I think the power is going to come. It, I'm torn as to where it's going to end up. And again, I think that's going to be the differentiator on is he a five tool talent or not, simply because our definition we're using a five tool talent is plus or better at all five. Don't know if he'll be plus. Now, of the 22 balls in play that I have stat cast data for, he had an average exit velocity of 89.2 and a 90th percentile of 104, which is healthy for an 18-year-old, which is what he was. His birthday was December 21st, so he's been 19 years old for about 10 days. Happy bladed birthday, Max Clark. So I feel good about if he's hitting a 104 90th percentile exit velocity at the age of 18, I feel comfortable saying he's going to be at least above average on power production. The question is, does he tick over into plus? Everything else is plus or better. Run tool, a lot of the grades, 70 grade, right? As far as the speed, you can see the speed when he plays defense. He's a plus defender. He should be able to stick in center field. And a couple different places, whether it's draft profiles or current prospect profiles, talk about the fact that he was a wide receiver in high school and had a very good senior season before he turned and focused on baseball. And you can see that the ability to to run, the ability to track a ball in flight, the ability to adjust on the fly, you can see that when you watch him defensively, when you watch him running routes in the outfield to get to a ball. 
the athletic background, the dual sport background, there's some teams that prioritize that in their guys. It feels you can see that from Max Clark. And then he has an absolute cannon for an arm. I've seen a lot of 70 grades on it. Baseball America talks about when he was in high school and he would occasionally pitch, he'd hit mid-90s. MLB Pipeline in their draft profile specifically throws out the number of 97 miles an hour from the mound. So when you watch him play, even just that little short sample in rookie ball and low A Lakeland, you can see how strong the arm is. So everything for Max Clark, as far as is he a five-tool player or not, all depends on maintaining the ability to make good contact as he moves up in the system, starts dealing with better breaking pitches, and how where does the power come in from both the swing adjustments that he's making or he's going to make and the natural strength gains that come as he goes from ages 18 to 21 and adds that three to five miles an hour of bat speed that most prospects on average get during that time frame. In just a minute, a couple thoughts about the Braves-Red Sox trade between uh, for Chris Sale and Vaughn Grissom, as well as some other trades, and adjusting from the college pitching schedule to the major league pitching schedule. We'll talk about that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there is still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. You used to have to pick a winner to do this. Now it's win or lose. The app's incredibly easy to use. There's a ton of different ways to play. They have same-game parlays, uh, point spreads, money lines. If you're not sure of what to bet, you can go to the new Explore tab and find a bet that works for you. If you want to make a parlay where you have three or four or five different teams, and if they all if they all win, you win big. You can go into the Parlay Hub and find popular parlays and ride along with other people. So visit fando.com slash locked on to make your first bet today. Again, 150 bucks guaranteed when you place a $5 bet with FanDuel, the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome back on to Locked On MLB Prospects, our Monday mailbag episode. Happy New Year to all of you everydayers watching today. Uh, quick reminder, Locked On's launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows like this one, covering all of the leagues. So go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube, subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel, both Roku and Amazon apps coming soon. On Saturday afternoon, the Atlanta Braves and Boston Red Sox announced a trade. As always happens, the first inkling we got of it was, boom, Jeff Passan drops a bomb. Atlanta's made this trade because uh, Atlanta keeps things quiet. But Vaughn Grissom goes from the Braves to the Red Sox for Chris Sale and $17 million in cash considerations. And obviously, the more prospect-oriented part of this is Vaughn Grissom. But real quick on Chris Sale, one of the best pitchers in baseball early in his career has dealt with a lot of injuries ever since he signed that extension in Boston. Out of 131 possible starts, he's made 31 of them. 
It's I think it's just under 150 innings since the start of the 2020 season. Now, I dealt with Tommy John. A lot of the other injuries outside of that weren't necessarily his fault. He broke some fingers on a comebacker. He fell off a bike and broke his wrist. A lot of fluky things, and he did pitch 100 innings last year. But this is not the same Chris Sale that was in Chicago with the White Sox and had, I think, six straight top six finishes in the, in the uh, Cy Young voting. But still, Atlanta's on the hook because of the $17 million. Atlanta's on the hook for only $10.5 million of that. And $10 million of that is deferred 15 years. So as we learned from the Shohei Otani thing, any deferred money is you have to fund it by the 2nd July after the season it's earned. So he'll play 2024. The Braves' cash outlay is $500,000. And the $10 million deferred has to be funded by July 1st, 2026 for Chris Sale. So uh, it's a great trade for Atlanta from the perspective of it's $10.5 million for a pitcher that can give you, if he's healthy, can give you postseason inning, quality postseason innings. Their team that won 100-plus games last year, despite not having Max Fried and Kyle Wright for a lot of it. So this gives you another postseason option, provided you can get him there healthy. For the Red Sox, this means a couple things to a couple different Red Sox players. First one, talking about Von Grissom, a lot of the conversation comes back to his defense. And at shortstop, let's not get this mistaken, his defense is not good at shortstop. He covered 158 innings for Atlanta at shortstop in 2023. He committed six errors. He, If you go by outs above average on StatCast, he's bottom six for all shortstops in baseball. And everybody else on that, I think the average player below him had 900 plus innings. And that's a rate stat. The more you play, the more outs above average you can accumulate, positive or negative. So he had 158 innings, and the only people below him had an average of 900 or so. So shortstop, he's not great. Second base, he's surprising. Like he's perfectly fine. He will be a more, a serviceable second baseman at the major league level. You didn't get Von Grissom for his defense. You got Von Grissom for his offense. Across parts of two major league seasons, 64 games. He covered some second base for Aussie Albies in 2022 and then some shortstop in 23. He batted 287, 339, 407. Five home runs, 15 extra base hits, 13 walks to 49 strikeouts. More of his power is doubles power than home run power right now. He had a great year in AAA Gwinnett outside of that major league stint with 102 games, batted 330, 419, 501. Only had like, only had eight home runs, though. He had 36 doubles and four triples, 56 walks to 66 strikeouts, and 13 of 15 on stolen bases. He'll play second base. He's probably the opening day starter at second base, and he gives you a little bit of runway now because you have six years of team control. If you want to make a trade using some of these infielders, maybe a Nick York, whoever it might be, you have options now to make a trade knowing that you have a guy that can at least competently play second base. Again, I'm not going to put him at shortstop unless it's an emergency. Same time, you saw some of that last year with the Red Sox. So he's another guy that with some defensive development could fill in an emergency at shortstop. But either way, six years of team control, 
of a second baseman. And what it cost you was your opening day starter and $17 million in salary to get six years of him. The Braves ended up spending $15 million for five years of Jared Kelnick. So that's the going rate to get these guys with team control here. Supposedly the Red Sox want to shed some more payroll so that they can be more aggressive in free agency. Not quite sure how that's going to work. Don't know what happened to the Red Sox that we used to know, but it's perfectly fine. Uh, Had a question about, I mentioned in a throwaway uh, about the Dodgers should go all in in 2024 since they've signed uh, something they've traded for Glasnow and they've signed Yamamoto and Otani and all of that and Walker Bueller's coming back. And I was asked what that would look like. And I think, and I, I believe some of the guys at Baseball America proposed the same thing in one of their podcasts. Go to the Brewers and trade for Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas. Michael Bush is your big trade ship here. We've talked about him on the show before. He doesn't have a place to play because every DH is locked up. First base is locked up. Mookie Betts is at second base. Max Muncy's at, like he doesn't, Michael Bush does not have a spot to play. You go to the Brewers, give us Corbin Burns, who we know won't sign an extension, but you'll have him for a season. Give us Willie Adamas, who may or may not sign an extension, but either way, you'll have him for a year. We're going to give up Michael Bush. We're going to give up Gavin Lux. He's from Kenosha, Wisconsin, so it makes sense he would go home. Bush is from somewhere up there. He's not from Wisconsin, but he's from somewhere up there. Minnesota, maybe? Anyway, and then pick any two pitchers. I think Baseball America proposed a pitcher and a catcher. The Brewers feels feels like the Brewers of anybody wouldn't pay the premium for a top prospect at catcher because they can build catchers with their Brewers devil magic. But at the very least... Uh, you know, pick any of the two pitchers. You know, pick any two pitchers in our minor league system. You can have those guys. It's an overwhelming deal. The Brewers would probably just about always say yes to something like that. Get some promising pitchers. Michael Bush could slot right into first base. Gavin Lux is your starting shortstop. You've got other options if you don't feel comfortable with him. It's a no-brainer to make that deal. I was asked why... I, I've mentioned this before about college pitchers adjusting from throwing once a week to throwing every uh, uh, five days, and why that's so difficult. And one, we don't have a lot of data on this, right? It's difficult because anecdotally, we've been told it's difficult. We haven't actually seen a, a, a Saber study or anybody like that to sit down and say, here is what happens. Uh, so what kind of want to clarify there, but it's difficult because what happens is you have less time for your body to recover from the exertion that you're doing. And so let me give you an example of a a pitcher who pitches every five, five days, a starter. Here's a typical routine for a starter. So you have a start, okay? 100% intensity for the most part for your starts, right? You empty the tank because you're about to be off for a couple of days. Day one, after the start, if your outing was 100% intensity, your recovery on day one after the starts may be 20%. You're doing some stuff, you're, you're stretching, you're not doing a lot, right? Day two, you do some light long toss, you do some distance mound work, it's probably 50% intensity, right? Like you're not, you're, you're putting in effort, but you're not really exerting that much. Day three after the start, That's when you do standard long toss. That's when you do your pull downs. That's when you're doing a bullpen. 
it's probably an 80% exertion day. 75 to 80% is what a lot of the guys I've talked to told me they're shooting for feel-wise on that bullpen. Day four is the day before your start. You're back down. You're probably 20% or so, right? You're doing some light toss and catching. You're doing some grip work on all your different pitches, making sure your hands feel good. You're able to get all the grips. You feel good with everything. And then start day, you have a a bullpen to warm up and you go out and you do 100% again. Now, in your pitching seven days a week, you usually get a second recovery day after the start and you usually get a second recovery day prior to the next start. So you would do day one and two would be two recovery days and then you do light long toss and mound work and then a bullpen and then you'd get an active recovery day, and then your day before start day. So you're taking away lower intensity days and compressing the schedule. And so not everybody responds the same to that. And again, unfortunately, we don't have statistical data on this. I really want uh, to get with some folks who have access to all of the data so we can look at college to pros, what happens to Uh, velocity, what happens to number of pitches per outing, what happens to location, what what happens to all of these different things when you transition from college to the pros. We don't have it yet. I'm trying to figure out who I can partner with to get this done, but I think this is an, an unexplained or an unexplored public thing. I guarantee you there's major league teams who have researched this, but in the public sphere, we don't have a lot of data on this. In just a minute, I had somebody point out how we are unfailingly positive when it comes to prospects, and we don't talk about the likelihood of guys not making it. So let's do that next, right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Welcome back in. Final segment of Locked on MLB Prospects here on Monday, January 1st. Again, Happy New Year to the everydayers who are watching this on the day that it drops. According to the the prospect survey or the listener survey that we've put in the episode description in the show notes. A lot of you are everydayers and listen every single day, and we appreciate you very much for that. If you want to give us your thoughts on the show, that again, that survey, it's in the episode description. It's in the show notes. It's a Google form about 10 or so questions. wrote it myself. It doesn't collect any personal information. Nobody's going to see that but me. Okay, so we don't talk a lot about the likelihood of guys not making the majors in this show. And That was a deliberate decision by me when I took over this show from Aram Layton, who created the show, founded the show, went on to move to Just Baseball Media, and does great work over there with Just Baseball. I made that decision because the likelihood of almost any given prospect, any random prospect you select, the likelihood is they're not going to make the majors. And even if they do, they're not going to make an impact. And by impact, positive war, right? So I've got some stats on that, and I've got a story on that. Uh, Stats first. Baseball America wrote an article in 2019 that used some work from a Sabre study in 2017. So there's two different bits of research here on this. Both of them looked for in a, a sample from 1981 to about 2010 or so. A little bit different in the years. I think one of them may have been 11 or whatever. but your first round picks are likely to at least reach the majors, right? 73% chance your first round pick 
reaches the the majors, according to the 2019 Baseball America article. After that, it is at best a coin flip for anybody else. Second round, 51%. Third round, 40 So 40% chance that any random third round draft pick will make the majors. Just make it. Be up for one at bat, get one strikeout, whatever it is. That continues to fall. Once you hit the eighth round, it's around 20%. Uh, after the 11th round, it's less than 10%. So obviously... You you do the math here. It is very unlikely that any random prospect will make the major leagues. Uh, Even and even a first rounder. Again, 73% of those made it. But that means one in every four first round draft picks did not ever appear in the major leagues. Which, if you think about it, is astounding. Think about if that happened in the NFL, right? Your hit rate on NFL picks in the first round feels like it's you know, it's somewhere between 50 and 75%. What if one-fourth of them never played in a game, right? Now, I said makes an impact. Measuring that by war. So 0.1% career war, to me, is you were a little tiny bit better than the average major league player. You had some sort of positive impact in the sport of baseball, right? Only 9.8% of drafted players in that time sample had a positive war. 0.1% that came that comes out to about 80 players a year, about 80, about 83 players per season end up ever having a positive war. And they have a lot more stats about by position, who's more or less likely. Will like will a pitcher ever get to a thousand strikeouts? They have a bunch of more stats. So if you're a Baseball America subscriber, go find the stories. There's a couple of them out there. Go read those. But to me, baseball is well, probably the hardest sport there is, especially when it comes to things like hitting. Right? You have this guy who's trained his entire life to throw this baseball, make it do weird things, and you're supposed to try to hit it with a stick. It's incredibly hard. And it's very easy for me to sit here and say, that guy's not going to make the majors. He sucks. But one, that's not an entertaining show, right? That doesn't actually teach you anything. And two, I'm not going to pretend that this show is listened to by a lot of minor leaguers and all of that and a lot of people in baseball or whatever, but I have heard from parents of prospects. I have heard from prospects themselves. I have heard from family members, girlfriends, all that kind of stuff that people do watch this show. People do listen to this show. And... I don't want to be in any way demoralizing to any baseball player who is chasing their dream. I don't want their family to think that they're not going to work out. I don't want their friends to think that they're not going to work out. Because this is the hardest game to play, to me, of any professional sport. Uh, I think the only thing that comes close to being consistently good at hitting a baseball is maybe being a consistently good goalie in hockey. Like, that might be about it to me. And Christopher Troy, a minor league pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, wrote a great thread on Saturday the 30th talking about how he just introduces himself as a member of the Red Sox organization because so many people don't understand how long you spend in the minors and how hard it is to make the major leagues and how most of them don't actually do it. And he breaks down some of the numbers 
if you go off of how many high school baseball players there are, how many Division I baseball players there are, how many draft picks there are, you have a 0.13% chance of getting drafted if you play baseball in high school. And then once you get drafted, it's there's 5,000 minor leaguers, there's 945 major leaguers. So you have a, what is that, just under 10% chance of making the majors? And so in total, if you are a baseball player in high school, any random given player, 0.013% chance of making MLB. And so the big takeaway that he had in here, and I actually think this is great. The next time you come across a minor leaguer, just know they're in the top 0.1% of all baseball players. And they're trying to become, to get into the 0.01% of baseball players. This is the hardest sport in the world. And it's much more fun for me, much more informative for you to talk about, here's what this guy can do. And let's assume he makes it. Here's where he can fit on the field. Here's where he can contribute to the major league roster. Because again, the easy way out is to say he's not going to make it. Because any given player, for the most part, that's true. But it's not nearly as fun, not nearly as entertaining. And honestly, it would be a very depressing way to look at the game of baseball. It's a wonderful game. I love it so much. I love that I get to do this every day. I get to come on here and talk to you about baseball. I get to answer your questions. I get to dive into film of players and talk about what this guy does and what his pitches do and how he hits and all. I love that. And I love it because we can keep a sense of positivity about it. We're going to keep doing that. We're about to launch the Farm System Preview starting tomorrow. Same thing. It's going to be a segment on the top prospects. It's going to be a segment on guys who might debut and can make an impact in 2024. And it's going to be a segment on lower level guys you should know about. We're not going to name players and say, this guy's never going to make it to the bigs. It's just not going to happen because that's not fun. And instead, we're going to have fun. We're going to talk about these minor leaguers from the perspective of they're going to make it. Let's talk about how they can do it. Until next time, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.